Andrew Womack Ministries presents part four in the How to Find God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, Renewing Your Mind. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. You know, I've really been blessed by my teaching this week. It reminds me of what God has done in my life. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that we teach the students in our school is that you don't go to the Bible and prepare a message. This is one of the differences between our school and other schools. We don't teach you exegesis or what do they call this? Hermeneutics. And we don't teach you how to do all of these kind of things. What we do is teach you how to have a relationship with God. And then you minister from what God has done in your life. And if it hasn't worked in your life, you shouldn't be teaching it. We don't teach people how to come up with a sermon. What we do is teach you is prepare the messenger. And then the message will come. And to me, this makes it so simple. See, I don't, I don't ever... Go to the Bible trying to find something to teach you, ever, never. I think you can get into big trouble doing stuff like that. You know what I do? I just study the Word for me, and then as God touches my life and He does something in my life, then I just share it with you. I share with people what God has shared with me. And so I only share things that are working in my life. And these things that I've been teaching on are things that God used to transform my life. And going back over them and talking about it has really blessed me just to think about how God has moved in my life. You know, ministry, all it is really is one beggar telling another beggar where there's a free meal. How to get it. Amen. And you can't tell people how to go get a free meal if you hadn't gotten it. And we got a lot of preachers that are up there and they hear other people's sermons, but they haven't lived it themselves. You know, I don't. I guess there could be an exception to this, but as a general rule, I don't teach on anything that I haven't lived for years. Years. The Lord has shown me things. I'm getting more revelation from the Word today than possibly I've ever gotten in my life, but you won't hear it for years. I don't share anything that I just learned or saw or heard a week ago or a month ago. I live things for years and incubate it before I ever share it with other people. And I think that that's a better way to minister. And if we had more people ministering like that, then you wouldn't have people that are up here saying and spouting things that aren't true and that don't work in real life and stuff. And it would solve a lot of problems. You know, we had a guy one time, this is back when I was conducting Bible studies in six states. And this guy came and stayed with us. He had been recommended by somebody and I took him to my six Bible studies and let him minister. And he took one of Kenneth Copeland's sermons. I know because I got the message. I had it. I had heard it. And he had memorized it. And he, had, he even had the motions down like Kenneth Copeland. And he had memorized this sermon word for word. And the sermon was good. There was nothing wrong with the sermon. But it was just... A canned message. It wasn't real to him. And this guy got into our Bible study, which my Bible studies were non-religious. We had dogs that had walked through and, uh, you know, while you're preaching. And he tried to make everybody stand up and sit down at a certain time. And, man, we just sat around. We'd have 60 people. We'd just sit around and we'd sing and talk and, and I'd share with them. But it, he didn't have a pulpit and he had to have a pulpit and he, was, he had memorized all of his things. And I remember one time he made this great point and went 
ta-da, like this. And a kid opened up the door and hit him in the back of the head and nearly knocked him over. And, and he was just, he was struggling. He was having a hard time throughout this whole thing. And anyway, that's the way that so many ministers are. They've heard something and it sounds good or they go to the Bible and they get something for other people. But what I'm sharing with you are things that are, this has changed my life. And it's exciting to me. My whole life. I've nearly, it, next month it'll be 42 years since I had that experience I was talking about. And God has changed my life. And this is working. It is working and God is doing things. Tonight I'm going to share a little bit with you about some of the things that we're doing in a building program that we've got that's like $40 million. Give you an opportunity to be a part of that if you desire to be. And God is doing things that is just amazing. It absolutely amazes me. And it all started with trying to find out what God's will for my life is. And what I shared last night is Romans 12, verse 1, God's will is for us to be a living sacrifice. And when God showed that to me, I quit asking, do you want me to be a preacher or this or that? I just started saying, God, here I am. I want to be a living sacrifice. And as I committed my life to the Lord, God just supernaturally, I mean supernaturally, started changing my life. I made that decision. I told you that it was December of 1967 when God gave me Romans 12, 1 and 2. In, on March the 23rd, 1968, when I had this encounter with the Lord, and I mean, it just revolutionized my life. Boom, like that, I was changed. I've never gotten over it. And immediately, within days, God told me to quit school which I was in my second semester of uh, college. I had a student deferment from the military. As long as I was in college, if you quit, you were automatically 1A. You were going to be sent to Vietnam. I had $350 a month coming from the government uh, for my tuition and stuff. As long as I stayed in school for my father's uh, Social Security, it was a benefit. I had the acceptance of my family. Every person in my family has been a school teacher and education was it. The church that I went to had all of these highbrow doctors from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary come. Those are the people that filled our pulpit. And education was everything. And they actually told me, you can't say you're a Christian and say that God told you to quit school. And I had a lot of things go wrong. But you know what? I'm saying that within within days of me making this decision to be a living sacrifice, God started speaking to me. He led me first to quit school, which did not make any sense at all. And I wavered on it because I was brand new. My mother told me that this was wrong. And so for two months I stayed in school and it was traumatic because I hated school. I mean, God just changed my heart instantly. But I, it took me a couple of months to make that decision. But when I made it, did you know it set in motion things? I got drafted. I got sent to Vietnam. And some people would think, well, boy, look what it cost you. You know, in hindsight, looking back, that is one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life. I didn't realize it at the time, but that was so significant because I was a Baptist to the core. If you're raised in Texas and you aren't a Baptist, somebody messed with you. You're born Baptist in Texas. And when I went into the army, I was a Baptist to the core. And when I came out, I wasn't. I didn't intend to do it. 
I just got to reading the Bible 15 hours a day. And I found out that I got to believe in the Bible and I quit being Baptist. I'm not against the Baptists. Praise God for what they did and got me started. But you know what? They don't encourage baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, miracles, and a lot of other things. And I just changed. And I didn't know that I was changing. I just got in the Word of God. And in hindsight, it's one of the greatest things that ever happened. And that decision to quit school precipitated all of this. And it, that's how God does things. You make a living sacrifice and then He just starts telling you step by step. And as you obey Him, it just starts things in motion that... I couldn't have helped it. I didn't make it happen. God just started changing things. And it was imperative. But here's what I want to share this morning. Is that Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This isn't just for somebody special. For people in ministry, every born-again person is supposed to be a living sacrifice. And then in verse 2 it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a two-step process here. Last night I talked about being a living sacrifice, and I'm not minimizing that at all. That's absolutely essential. But... Unless you add to that living sacrifice being renewed through your mind, you are going to miss God's will. And let me say this, that being a living sacrifice, if that's all you do and you make a commitment, God, I'll do anything, I'll go anywhere, whatever your will is, if that's all you make, as good as that is, Satan will destroy you with that commitment. You need to also get the truth. You need to have truth. And here is a testimony of that. That, you know, I made this commitment, God, I'll do anything. When God told me to quit school, I knew that it was probably going to be an all-expense paid trip to Vietnam. And yet I did it. And I was willing to go die if that's what God told me to do. That's good to a degree. But at the time, I had this doctrine that it had been instilled in me in the Baptist church that God is sovereign, that nothing can happen but what God wills. And so whatever happens, it must be God's will. I didn't understand that we have an enemy out there that's trying to destroy you and do things. And so anyway, right after I got back from Vietnam, I had been renewing my mind. I'd grown a lot, but I hadn't learned this one yet. And I still believe that God just, you know, if it was supernatural then it had to be God. I didn't have the truth to be able to judge things by. And so when I got back from Vietnam, Jamie and I were engaged to be married and we were heading towards marriage and I had had a couple of dreams. And in these dreams, they were, uh, I won't go into all the details, but they were uh, strange dreams. One of them, I had a guy that was sitting on top of me and jamming his fingers like this into my face and hitting me in my mouth. And I woke up and I, I threw him off and I woke up and I thought, well, it's only a dream. And I went into the bathroom and I was bleeding. And I had been attacked by a demonic thing. I had two of those dreams like that. And I had some demonic things happen to me. And I just shook it off and I said, I don't believe this is God. And I rejected him. And then I went into a uh, Dairy Queen 
in Nacogdoches, Texas, which was about three and a half hours from where I lived. I was going to a church camp. And I walked into this Dairy Queen. And I had just rejected these two dreams and says, that can't be God because it terrified me. I walked into this Dairy Queen and a woman walked up that I'd never seen before. And she quoted from the book of Job and says, God speaks once, yea, twice, in dreams, in visions of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men. You thought those two dreams were of the devil, but they're God. God is showing you what's going to happen to you. Man, all the hair on the back of my neck stood up like this. And I thought, my God, this is, this is supernatural. I've never seen this woman. How would this woman know anything? And so that just all, I mean, it scared me and like, what's going to happen? And these dreams were terrible. It was about destruction and stuff. And then we had a man come to our church and preach who had seven incurable diseases. And he actually went to a doctor friend of mine and they ran an EKG on him and sent it to the lab. And he asked the lab, what do you think of this guy? And the lab says, this is a joke. You sent us an EKG on a corpse. And he says, this guy's alive. He's preaching at our church. You ought to come hear him. He had seven diseases that showed he was dead. And yet he was alive, just barely alive. He was struggling. He had to sit. He couldn't stand, but he would preach an hour or two. And he had these seven diseases. And he was preaching that Satan is God's messenger boy. And that God, I mean, Satan can't do anything, but what God allows it. And so if you have a problem, God allowed it in your life to teach you something and to help you and make you better. And see, I didn't know the truth. And here I was committed to God, that God, I'll do anything. And I'd had this supernatural occurrence where a woman told me that, man, these dreams were of God. And so here was this guy preaching that God had given him seven incurable diseases and this was God's will and this is how he was doing things. And so I was sitting there and just thinking, oh God, what's going to happen? And this guy zeroed in on me and got to talk into me. And then he took us out to eat and Jamie was with me. This is before we were married, but... We'd engaged. And during that week that he was there, I went to get my physical for our marriage license. And it turned out that I had yellow jaundice. And yellow jaundice isn't, um, you know, life-threatening if you lay still for a month. You got to go lay flat on your back. And um, I determined I wasn't going to do that. I was trying to believe God for healing. And they said, if you don't lay flat on your back, you could have something happen. You could go into a coma. This could kill you. And so here I was facing this physical problem. This guy came through, started preaching, God is the one that does this. And then he took me out to eat and he got to saying that you're going to go into a coma and you're going to be in a coma for eight years. He was prophesying to me. And God was prophesying that he was putting me into a coma to make me holy and that when I came out of this coma that I would be like the apostle Paul and God would have shown me these great revelations and that God was going to judge me and break me and do all of this. And because I had made a commitment that God, I'll do anything and I'm a living sacrifice. You know, I was sitting there thinking, well, if this is God's will, I'll accept it. And he had about, there was about 12, 15 people at this table all of my friends from this church. And this guy was just pouring it on and prophesying all of this death and destruction over me. And I was sitting there saying, well, if it's God's will, I was sitting there crying, thinking, I'll, God, whatever you want. Because I was a living sacrifice and I was willing to let God do whatever. You know, that's good, but it has to be balanced with the truth or Satan will take advantage. Satan nearly killed me. 
because I was willing to let God do whatever. But, you know, praise God, the devil, he is just extreme. The devil had me. If he would have quit right there, you'd have never seen me. I'd have been in a coma and I probably died. But you know what? He had me on the ropes and he just couldn't quit. And he just kept pouring it on. And he kept talking about how, how this suffering was so ter- terrible on him and how bad it was. And finally he said this. And he says, the worst thing of everything is that God has put me on a fast from the word of God for eight years. He won't let me open the Bible. He tells me I can't read the Bible. He told me that for eight years I can't read the word. All I do, the only time I open the Bible is when I preach to other people. And God put me on a fast from the word of God. Now, I didn't know a lot, but I knew better than that. And when he said that, see, I had just come out of Vietnam and I'd been reading the word 15 hours a day. And it was just, man, I was in love with God and I was excited about the word of God. And I knew that I knew that I knew God would never tell anybody not to study the word. God's word is my meditation day and night. And when this guy said that, man, Jamie and I were standing there and I just stood up and I said, I reject this in the name of Jesus. I rebuke these dreams. I am not accepting this stuff. I said, I don't understand everything, but I know God will never put me on a fast from the word of God. And I broke that. We left that church. We left our friends, our very closest friends, people who were like a spiritual father and mother to us. We walked away and I said, I will not live in this stuff anymore. And we walked out of that stuff and praise God, I knew just enough truth to be able to recognize that that was a lie and a deception. And so I use that as an example to say that, yes, you need to be a living sacrifice, but if you don't know the truth, Satan will take advantage of you and of your desire to God, I'll do anything, whatever your will is. And you've got to have these two things balanced. You've got to have a revelation of God through the word. And so Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world. The word conform there comes from a Greek word that means to pour into the mold. You know, when I was drafted, uh, when we went through Fort Dix, New Jersey, and we got our orders to go to Vietnam, it was kind of funny because here were these guys that were 18, 19, 20 years old, and we were supposed to be tough guys in the military. And they came in and gave us our orders to Vietnam. And all of these guys started crying. It was kind of funny. And uh, they were crying and it was just pitiful. And so they called in the chaplain. And the chaplain came in to comfort all of us over getting our orders to Vietnam. And this chaplain, he said, the army is a fire and it'll melt you. But he says, you get to pick what mold you fit into. And God had just spoken to me, Romans 12. One and, and two, and I realize that, man, that's great. You know what? I'm not going to come out of the army the same as I went in. It's going to melt me, but I get to pick the mold. I'm going to choose to be conformed to the image of his son. And I just decided I was going to seek God. And I tell you what, I came out of the army ten times stronger in the Lord than what I went in. And I took that to heart. And this is what this is talking about. It says, don't be conformed to this mold. Somebody says, well, nobody's going to mold me. No. Life will melt you. You aren't leaving this world the same as you came in. You came in pure and innocent, but you know what? Life is going is to test you. You are going to be melted. 
but you get to pick which mold you fit into. And don't be molded or conformed to the image of this world. How do you keep from doing this? How do you keep the world from affecting you? You know, I just got through with a series that I taught in Phoenix about the scripture says that uh, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And in case you hadn't noticed, iniquity is abounding. We are living in more iniquity. I'm not sure if there's more iniquity, but at least it's more open. It's now on the television. It's now on the news. People are having parades bag, bragging about their perversion instead of hiding it. And we, there is iniquity abounding. And because of it, the love of many people is waxing cold. How do you keep that from happening? The way you keep from being conformed to the image of this world, poured into the mold of this world, is through the renewing of your mind. It says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this word transform there is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the word we get metamorphosis from. Where a little uh, caterpillar spins a cocoon and then comes out a few months later as a butterfly. If you want to change from something that is earthbound to something that is flying and beautiful. If you want transformation, metamorphosis, the way it happens is by the renewing of your mind. Boy, this is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And yet most people are missing this. Most people are praying and, oh God, please change everything. Oh God, please help my finances. God, help my body be healed. God, help my marriage to work out. They're praying and asking God. They know that God can do anything. So they ask God for these things. And don't realize that the way change is going to come to pass is not by prayer. Thank you for that one single amen. Are you speaking against prayer? No, I'm not speaking against prayer. I'm just speaking that the scripture says that you are born again by the incorruptible seed of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 23. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a seed. Rome, uh, Mark chapter 4 verse 14. The sower sows the word. I just taught on that not long ago on television. That the whole universe... The world as we know it is operating on seeds. Everything comes from a seed. Every plant life, every animal, every person came from a seed. Seeds are how the whole world operates. And yet when it comes to the gospel realm, people just think, well, God, heal me. And they hadn't planted a seed. They haven't renewed their mind. They don't know what the word says. I've asked people here. I said, so what are you doing in response to this sickness? What have you done? And most of them will say, well, I've gone to the doctor and I've taken medication and I've prayed and I've done this. And what I'm trying to get them to do is to tell me, what is your faith based on? What see? What's, what scripture have you used? And I bet you 99 times out of 100, people will never mention the word. And if I'll say, all right, so what scripture have you got? Well, I, I think some play, I'm not sure if it's the New Testament or the Old <laughs> But someplace in here it says something like, by stripes we're healed, I think. Is that the way it's said? You know what? If that's the way that you've got the word, you're going to die. The scripture says you are transformed, changed from a creepy crawly thing to something that's beautiful that can fly 
through the renewing of your mind, and most of us aren't renewing our mind. Most of us are letting our minds be polluted as we watch this world. We spend infinitely more time in the world than we do in the Word. And we are being squeezed into the mold of the world. There are, I tell you, there are Christians that at 2001 when the terrorist attacks happened, there's Christians that wouldn't fly because they just panicked while everything is unsafe. And they were just as afraid as unbelievers. Of course, that wouldn't be anybody in here. This is for all the people that didn't come this morning. But brothers and sisters, there's people sitting right here that I guarantee you when the terrorist attacks happened, fear struck your heart like, what are we going to do? When the scripture says very clearly, let not your heart be troubled. I will not fear though the earth be cast into the sea. That's a little bit more than having the twin towers destroyed. If all of the seas covered the earth, it says I'm still not going to be destroyed. Though the earth be removed, I'm not going to be fearful. That's what the Word of God says to do. And yet Christians fell apart like a $2 suitcase, just like people that didn't know God. And then when the earthquake happens and when this happens and when a recession happens, Christians get into fear the same as unbelievers. You know why? Because we are conformed. We are poured into the mold of this world because we haven't been renewing our mind by the Word of God. You know, when I talk about things like this and when I talk about healing and how that, man, raising people from the dead is nothing. The Bible prophesied if you believed on Jesus, you'll do the same works that Jesus did. And even greater works than these shall you do. And when I talk about all of this, there's so many people that just think you're weird. Well, I think you're weird. People say, where have you come from? The Word. If you meditate in the Word, the Word will make you think differently than the world. You won't begin to be squeezed into the same mold. You'll begin to see things differently. You'll have a different attitude. When other people are talking lack and here we are in a recession, man, God's told me to expand bigger than I've ever expanded in my life. We are going exactly cross-culture. Christians ought to be exactly opposite of the unbelievers. There ought to be a difference between us and people that don't know Jesus. We're alive. They're dead. You should be able to tell the difference between a live and a dead person. I've been in churches that are so dead, they call 911 and they carry out half the congregation before they can find a dead person. Man, look alive. The buzzards are coming. Praise God. Show some motion. We need to, we need to act like there's something going on in our life. Praise God. And yet, if the average Christian was arrested, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict you. You're as sick as your neighbor that doesn't even know God. You're as poor as your neighbor. When the layoffs come, you're as afraid of your neighbor about what's going to happen. You're as worried as your neighbor. You're wondering about what am I going to do in retirement? And you're wondering about what happened to your 401k and all of these things. The same as people that don't know God. I'm not trying to scold you, but brothers and sisters, I'm saying we've been squeezed into the mold of this world. You ought to be different. And the reason we aren't different is because we haven't transformed ourselves by the renewing of our minds. We're sitting there watching as the stomach turns on the television and we're listening to all of the junk that is being said and we're taking it as being truth and it's not truth. We're being systematically lied to. 
Some of you believe that. Some of you aren't sure. But I tell you what, Satan is behind a tremendous amount of media stuff. And we are being lied to systematically. It's deliberate. You know, while I'm on it, I might as well say this. I'm about out of here. But you know what? This whole global warming thing is a hoax. I don't believe that. Apparently you don't either. (laughs) And I think it's funny that when they came back from this summit overseas that the president had to come back early because Washington, D.C. had two feet of snow. (laughs) We are setting record cold temperatures. Did you know last year there were over 3,000 record cold temperatures in July of 2009? They have now shown that the global warming people were putting out memos and concealing information and changing the information to misrepresent it. And then just a week or two ago, the, the UN, it turned out that they had talked about these glaciers advancing and things like this and all, all of this stuff. And they admitted that they've lied and they had to back off. And I guarantee you, it's all lies. You know why? Because there's big bucks in it. And it is a manipulation. The love of money is the root of all evil. And there's Christians sitting right here in this room who have swallowed this stuff and are worried about it. You know, if you go buy one of these new cars that have the batteries in it, did you know that those batteries have to be replaced at 75,000 miles and the money you spend on replacing the batteries offsets all of the money that you saved Plus, the batteries are an environmental hazard. You can't dispose of them normally, and they are causing problems. You know, when I was a kid, we used to use plastic. Or no, we used uh, paper sacks when you went to the grocery store. And then they complained about how all of these paper sacks were causing us to cut down trees, and we had to do something for the economy. So we put plastic in to save the economy. Now they're saying that plastic won't biodegrade in the waste uh, recycling thing. So they're going back to paper bags. People have a short memory. Back when we were a kid, it was global cooling. We were going to have another ice age. Now they're talking about global warming. And now they have changed it to climate change because it has gotten colder since they came out with all of this stuff. And that's a statistical fact. Jamie and I just took a trip to, to Alaska. Our staff gave us this cruise on a small ship. And did you know that they showed us these glaciers? And the glaciers are retreating. And so that's a proof of global warming. You know, what they don't tell you is that in the 1930s, one of the glaciers advanced so fast, it was faster than a dog could run. And it overran a village and killed an entire Eskimo village up there in the 1930s. Things were happening. And did you know they gave um, a map of where the glaciers used to be? And in the 1700s, the glaciers started retreating. They were 150 miles further out. They came all the way out to see that inside inside passage was totally blocked uh, 200 years ago. And they started retreating 200 years ago before all of our industrial stuff. How do you figure that? How did we cause that? 
there's cycles that go around. I'm not saying that there aren't times that things peak and get warmer and cooler. But you know what? The earth is regulates itself. When it gets hotter, everything evaporates. That forms a shield and cools it off. And when it gets cooler, then you know what? The shield leaves and it starts getting hotter. And it just goes like this. And God, God is bigger than... I tell you, people who believe in all of this stuff are people that don't believe God created us, that we evolved, that it's fragile. The Lord told us how the earth is going to end. They predict all of these hurricanes. And this guy, William Gray, up in Boulder, Colorado, the National Hurricane Service, he's been predicting all of these things, and he's wrong about 90% of the time. They've predicted that 19, I don't know, all of these things are going to be these terrible earthquakes and then people don't, it doesn't happen. And you know what? People say, well, you just got to err on the side of caution. But you know what? It costs people money because their insurance rates go up. People lost things. It affects people. And you know what? I know that there's... People think, well, now you aren't preaching the Word. You're just preaching your opinion and stuff. But you know what? The Word of God gives me an opinion that God is in control of things. He, it is not fragile. The Lord has the end of this world planned and, it, and we cannot do it. That is people that don't believe in God who think that man is all that there is. And they're trying to figure everything out in just a physical, natural realm. That's not how it works. Amen. You know, I know a lot of people don't care for that, but I'm telling you that we have been squeezed into the way that the world thinks. There are a lot of people that have bought into all of the evolutionist stuff when the Bible clearly states that God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't happen accidentally. And people, oh, But all of the science. Did you know that oil, it takes billions and millions of years to make oil. Men have made oil in 30 minutes out of a ton of trash under extreme pressure and heat. If men can make oil in 30 minutes out of trash under extreme pressure and heat, I believe God could have done it. I don't believe in all... Anyway, I could go into all this stuff. But... Brothers and sisters, I'm just telling you that you've got to have the Word to balance a commitment to the Lord or you can be taken advantage of. People can manipulate you. And I'm amazed. The people, like I was talking about earlier, I'm not against doctors. If it wasn't for doctors, all the Christians would have been dead. They hadn't been trusting God, and so I'm not against doctors. Doctors are just, you know... They're doing what they know to do. I'm not against a doctor, but I'm saying it's amazing that Christians will let doctors just try things. They'll, they'll say, take this pill and try this. And if it doesn't work, come back and I'll give you another one. They don't know what they're doing. They're just practicing. They even put it on their signs, family medical practice. They're just practicing. They're experimenting and they'll, they'll try it on you. And yet Christians don't take control. I had a woman that I prayed with this morning and she was just so, so like, I'm, I'm powerless. I can't do anything. Would you please pray for me? And I ministered to her and I said, one of the things that's wrong is that that's your body. God gave you authority. It says you can bridle your body with your tongue. I said, why are you letting the devil do this to you? And it was just like, well, what can I do about it? 
take your authority. Recognize who you are. Speak to your body. Resist this thing. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. And yet the average Christian, the average Christian is, oh God, we're powerless. God, we have nothing. We can do nothing. We are just looking to you. Lord, would you please move? And you go to the Lord like a beggar. Like God hasn't done anything for you. You've been squeezed into the way that the world thinks. That I am nobody. I'm nothing. Cancer is bigger than me. AIDS is impossible. There's no cure for it. That's only by the world's standards. I've seen people healed of AIDS. Seen people totally set free. Brothers and sisters, we need to get rid of this stinking thinking and it's killing us. And I don't care if you have made a commitment of the, to the Lord and if you are surrendered and, oh God, I love you with all of my heart. If you don't know the truth, Satan is going to kill you. You will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. God's word is truth. John chapter 17, verse 17. It's the truth that makes you free. And it's only the truth you know. John 8, 32. It's only the truth you know that sets you free. You can't just keep the Bible under your arm. You can't just sit here and say, Oh, I believe the Bible, and yet you don't even know what it says. You've never read it. Do you know in my class in the Bible school, I make our students read the Bible in one year. We have a Bible reading program where they have to read the Bible and we have students complain every single year about you're making me read the Bible. And I said, you know what? To go to a Bible school, I think you ought to have at least read the Bible by the time you graduate. And I would say the majority of people that come to the Bible school have never read the Bible. And yet they'll sit there and say, oh, I believe it. And you never even read it. How can you say you believe it if you've never read it? And I guarantee you, I've read the Bible hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and I'm getting more out of it now. I was telling Larry as we walked over here today that it's like you need to spend 30 years in the Bible to get to where you even know enough to ask the right questions. I'm just now beginning to understand the Word in ways that I never have before. So even if you've read the Bible once, I guarantee you, you didn't get it all. You need to be studying the Word. You need to be renewing your mind and the truth is we have wrong concepts. If Jesus was here in his physical body and ministering without having to be limited by going through people, if he was here and represent, I guarantee you Jesus would not be pleased with our inability. You know, his own disciples in the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, they came to him and they brought a man who had a boy who was demon possessed and and. He had brought his son to the, to the disciples and the disciples couldn't cast the spirit out. And when Jesus came to him, you know how he would have responded today if he was a modern day minister? He would have said, oh, don't feel bad about yourself. I, it was my fault. I should have been here. I shouldn't have left you alone. Oh, just don't, don't feel bad. Whatever it takes, feel good about yourself. Have a good positive self-image. Don't let this bother you. That's the way that people are today. Jesus said, you faithless and perverse group of people. How long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to suffer you? Bring him to me. He told him, I'm trying to teach you guys. I'm only here for a short time. You're faithless. You're perverse. That was 2,000 years ago. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They weren't born again. You're born again. You got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You got a Bible. Do you think Jesus would... would Look at us and think, oh, guys, don't feel bad about this. 
Do you know if the average person comes to the average pastor and says, man, I got financial problems. Could you help me? They say, well, have you been to social services? Have you applied for welfare? Have you got unemployment? Have you done this? And we'd send them someplace else. Well, I got emotional problems. Well, hadn't you, have you ever tried this medication? This really did wonders for me when I was depressed. (laughs) And if they were sick, we'd say, well, have you been to the doctor? What's the doctor doing? Jesus said, they don't need to depart. Bring them to me. Jesus told us to meet the needs of people. And brothers and sisters, we aren't even coming close. Most people think that the church is only for eternal things. So that when you die, you won't go to hell, but instead you'd go to heaven. But if, you, if you're sick, go to the doctor. Don't go to the church. That's the reason that the churches aren't full. If you need money, well, have you tried a loan? Have you done this? Well, buy a lottery ticket and pray over it. God's not into lottery. It's an ungodly system. If you're buying lottery tickets, you aren't trusting God. I don't care if you say, but I'm praying and believing that God's giving me the right numbers. God's not going to fix the lottery. It's against the law. You aren't going to get God to break his system. Wealth gotten by vanity takes away the life of the owners thereof is what the scripture says. God's not going to help you win the lottery. God's not going to help you if you go gamble. That's not the way that it works. And yet there's Christians that have been squeezed into that mold because they don't know what the Word of God says against gambling. You can make some money gambling. I've known people that are so good at it, they make money. But you know what? It's not God's system and it takes away the life of the owners is what it says. There's a right and a wrong way to prosper. Wealth gotten by vanity is not the right way to do it. But when the blessing of the Lord comes upon you, He'll make you rich and He adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 13, 22. We need to get God's attitude. And if you would do that, you'd quit wasting money on this stuff. You'd quit doing all of this stuff. And I'm not saying that you don't go to the doctors. I'm not saying that you don't take out a loan, but you'd trust God. And you would believe God and God would bless you and prosper you. And yet so many of us have our mind. We are completely polluted contaminated by the way that this world thinks. And then we come to God and throw a prayer out and wonder why nothing's working. You get transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want change in your life, change the way you think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life is going the direction of your dominant thought. You may not like that, but it's true. And if you're sick and diseased, it's because your thinking is sick and diseased. And you may be thinking, well, I didn't want this. I didn't pray for this. I haven't been thinking cancer. I never even thought of this. It just struck me out of the blue. But your thinking was sick. You weren't thinking that the works that Jesus did shall I do. No plague shall come nigh my dwelling. He'll give his angels charge over me. They'll bear me up in their hands. That man, he has delivered me from all sickness and all disease. Those are curses and I'm redeemed from the curse. You hadn't been thinking that way. You hadn't been standing on that. You hadn't been saying the word. It doesn't mean that you necessarily wanted sickness. It doesn't mean that you caused it directly, but your thinking rendered you powerless to where you're thinking, I'm only a man or a woman. God, what can I do? 
That's wrong thinking. You were squeezed into the mold of this world and that's what's caused you to be run over and Satan steal from you. We live in a fallen world and you're going to have problems. I'm not saying that every problem comes because you have caused it. I don't think that this Haitian earthquake was God causing it and I don't think it's voodoo that caused it. I think there's natural things that happen. I think that voodoo, the national religion of voodoo, caused their economy to be poor. I think it caused them not to have the infrastructure that a developed nation that wouldn't be into voodoo had. And so it magnified and amplified the effects and may have made it worse. But it's just a natural thing that happened. God didn't do it. The devil didn't do it. If you fall off this stage and break something, the devil didn't make you do it. You just fell. (laughs) Amen. I don't think that everything is either God or the devil. But I tell you what, if I fell off of here, I've broken bones before when I was out jogging and I was eight miles from home and it was cold and I'd have frozen to death before somebody got to me and I decided, praise God, I need to believe God. And I broke my ankle up on, I was going down this thing and got it caught on a tree root and it snapped and it broke and I rolled and by the time I got to the bottom of the hill, I jumped straight up in the air and said, in the name of Jesus, I'm healed and I ran eight miles back home. And my ankle swelled up, but I was okay and I'm fine. And you know what? I don't think that God made me break my ankle. I don't think the devil made me break my ankle. But praise God, I was able to believe God and and get back home and survive because of it. God has given us power and you can overcome things. I don't think everything is all your fault. But if we were not squeezed into the mold of this world where we're singing these songs, I'm only human, I'm just a man... One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. If you weren't singing those kind of songs and thinking that, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then when something comes against you, you'd be able to overcome it. But you spend your whole life thinking the way the world thinks, that I'm, I'm just, I'm nobody. I can't do anything. I can't lay hands on the sick. That's for the preachers. That's for somebody else. You think this way and then all of a sudden something comes against you and, you, oh God, what am I going to do? I can't. And you pray and you wonder why nothing's happening. It's because you've been squeezed into the way this world thinks. You see yourself as a nobody. You don't know that you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living on the inside of you. And so when you go to praying, you aren't going to see anything happen because as you think, That's the way you are. And you are powerless because you've thought you're powerless. I'm not saying this to rebuke. I'm trying to say that brothers and sisters, we're living below our privileges and people are coming. And I've prayed with dozens of people this week and I love you and I'm going to keep praying for people. I'm not mad at you, but it's sad to me that people come and that they have zero confidence that they can believe God. But if I'll pray for them, they'll be healed. I don't have a gift of healing. I don't have a special anointing for healing. I don't have anything in here that Joe Blow Believer doesn't have. The only difference is I know what I've got. And I use what I've got. And so, yes, I'm willing to help people. But it just breaks my heart that people see themselves as as nothing. You don't know what you've got. God lives on the inside of you. God Almighty lives on the inside of you and we're living like He's out there somewhere and we believe these things that, oh, the devil has blocked my prayers from getting through to God. 
And so we do spiritual warfare and get a hundred million people to pray and open up the heavens so that our prayers can get through to God. How dumb can you get and still breathe? Isn't that what happened with Daniel? Yes, but Daniel was an Old Testament man. And in the New Testament, God lives on the inside of me. He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. And I don't have to get my prayers past demons up to God. That's the reason I bow my head when I pray, so that I can look at God. Say, Father, amen, he's right here. And yet we come up with these weird doctrines because people don't know the word. We've been squeezed into the mold of the world. Ignorance is killing us. Have you ever heard the expression that what you don't know won't hurt you? That's a lie. What you don't know is killing you. Ignorance is costly. And brothers and sisters, God gave us the word. You've got to renew your mind. If I hadn't had just a little bit of renewing of my mind, I would have submitted to these prophecies that were supernatural. It was supernatural. It wasn't natural. And I would have submitted to them. And I'd have died. And I wouldn't have fulfilled my destiny. And brothers and sisters, I'm saying God loves you. Some of you have made a commitment to the Lord. But what we don't know about the Word of God would fill volumes. We've got to get into the Word of God. We've got to find out what God's Word says. You need to get to where you know God's Word better than you know your favorite TV show and the characters and what's happened with somebody's baby bump and whether or not they got... Boy, the stuff that's on the Internet, it just amazes me. I go on the internet and get these reports and that, that's, I kind of just scan it to see if we've gone to war or if something's happened. <laughs> and the stuff they list on there is so trivial. It is offensive. It is just stupid, stupid, stupid. And I'm saying this in love, but many of you watch this stuff and are absorbed with it. When you have a trivial pursuit game or something, you know all of this stuff that doesn't amount to anything and yet you couldn't quote where by his stripes we are healed is for anything. And then you wonder, why can't I get healed? I'm, I'm just trying to remove the question. I'm not mad at you. But I am mad at ignorance and I am mad at the devil that has blinded people. And I'm just telling you the truth, brothers and sisters, that if you want to be transformed and prove the good, the acceptable and the perfect will of God, then you get into the Word of God and you get transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I can guarantee you, you'll change. You change the way you think and you'll change your experience. And if you're trying to change your experience without changing the way you think, that is absolutely crazy. It doesn't work that way. And yet this is what the vast majority of people are doing is, oh God, give me a different results, but I don't want to change a thing over here. It doesn't work that way. And at the expense of you thinking I'm self-serving, this is why we have the Bible school and while we're having a meeting, there are many of you that it's like, where do I start? How do I learn the words? You don't have to just 
struggle the way that I did. You can take the truths that God has given me and Wendell and other people and praise God. You can condense what it's taken me 42 years to learn and you can learn these things in a short period of time. Why in the world don't we take advantage of the things that are available? Technology today, we got it online. You can get CDs, DVDs. There is just zero excuse for us being woefully ignorant of God's Word. So praise God. I know some of you think I'm angry. I'm really not angry at you. I'm mad at the devil. It's like Smith Wigglesworth. He used to punch people and kick people. He took a baby one time and kicked it off of the stage. And people thought, you're mean. He says, I'm just mad at the devil. I can't help it if those people's bodies get in the way. (laughs) He says, I'm after the devil. I'm trying to come against these wrong thinking and things that are hurting people and keeping us from receiving. And I'm sorry if you took it personal. But I am just upset that we have let the devil rob from us. And it is so simple. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What part of this do we not understand? Renew our mind by the Word of God and you will prove the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. You can't miss it. It's impossible. You would have to backslide on God. You would have to rebel. You're going to have to put on the brakes and say, No, God, I will not do it. You renew your mind and you will see God's will come to pass in your life. That's the way that it is. If you haven't seen God's will, if you're struggling, you haven't renewed your mind. So praise God. we got to figure it out. All you do is go out and commit yourself to the Word of God and you're going to see some awesome things happen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your Word and thank you for these truths. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the things that I've tried to say today and that you would impress on people how important it is to renew our mind and not be conformed to this world. Father, help us to stand out like a heel thumb Help us to stand out to people around about us that they would be able to see that there's life in us and death in them. That, Father, we wouldn't just think the way that everybody else does. Help us to renew our minds. And we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You know, remember that we've got this meeting uh, immediately after this service and, and they're going to be over here talking about the Bible school. And the Bible school could really be a way that some of you get into the Word of God and renew your minds. It would change you. You know, if you don't know Jesus personally, you must know Jesus. You can't renew your mind without first of all coming to grips with the fact that you need a Savior and that you must be born again. And then after you get born again, You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes many things. It's not limited to speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues is one of the immediate things that every person gets when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you need that. I don't know exactly. I think it was 140-something people that have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I know that there's probably people here today. If you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need that. One of the greatest things about the Holy Spirit is that He will teach you the Word of God. He's the one that inspired and wrote it. And one of the reasons people read the Bible and it makes no sense to them is because they're trying to read it with their head like a book. 
The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit to your heart. It has to come by revelation. And the Holy Spirit is sent to reveal the Word. And you've got to read it with your heart and depend upon the Holy Spirit. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the number one thing that happened with me was that the Word just came alive. I mean, I couldn't open it without God shouting at me. And you know, here I am 42 years later and I still can't open the Bible without just receiving something that just transforms my life. If that's not your experience, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit speaking to you. So is there anyone here today that would say, I need one or both of those. I want to receive and I, I need you. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.